Hi. Hello, welcome to Knock Knock Hi with the Glockenfleckens. I am your host, Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. And I am also your host, Kristen Flannery, also known as Lady Glockenflecken. How's everybody doing? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Did you have you noticed? Um, I I put a new a uh, little prop. Yes, our, I our, did in notice. Our background here. Sadly, I did not notice until we were already recording, <laughs> and so there was nothing I could do about it. Yes, yes. So every so often, you know, I, I I came up with these like silly little visual gags in my videos, like either like it's a the mission statement for Etna that just says be, be evil. Uh, that I'll you know put in a, like a frame and and put it somewhere and then Kristen <laughs> finds it like oh, later because I yeah leave like it in around. our in our laundry room above the door and I can't reach it which is why it's still there. There's a sign you've even forgotten you put that there. Oh oh the um <laughs> ortho correctional something. Oh yeah, that was when it was the ortho. Uh, oh, I forgot with how I worded it, but. Basically, it was like a timeout room that radio the radiologist uh, made the orthopedic surgeon go to because he kept not providing clinical history on his imaging orders. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I don't know how many months ago you filmed that video, and that sign is still hanging there I, above I, our I, laundry room. Yeah, I put it up there pretty high up. Yeah, I, I, I can't even get seen it. it. Okay, I'll 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 go <laughs> remove it until I forget that I told you I would remove it, and then I don't remove so it. So it always goes. But we do have, I just uh, posted a video. Um, I introduced the interventional radiologist, speaking mm-hmm. of radiology. And I did a little like visual gag where I like photoshopped us in front of the Eiffel Tower of me wearing my makeshift lead, which is actually like bath towels and that I wrapped like around myself. colored, yeah. different color. And I put it in a frame uh, so that I could like, you know, feature it in the video. And I, I put it on our background here. So you could see it the whole episode if you're watching this on YouTube. <laughs> so go if you're if you're interested in seeing that and some of our other props. <laughs> we got a I got my our uh, nephrology water bottle there. Uh, the Jonathan yep. prayer candle. Uh, uh, and and I don't know. It's got I, some other stuff. I, I'm very intentional about. My decorating. And so when you say you like to put things there to surprise me. Yeah, you like it. It's like a little gift. Yeah, yeah it's so fun. I, I like it you when I have it. everything just the way I want it, all meaningful and in a purposeful place. And then I mean, it I just could, changes randomly. I, I love e- it. I could exchange it with a, a, a framed <laughs> photo of, of the orthopedic surgeon, if you'd like. We already have a framed photo of it the was neurologist. The, it was the neurologist Jonathan. right there. You covered up the neurologist. Oh, no, no. The neurologist is down further below. Oh, well, that was Jonathan. See, you're moving all my stuff. <laughs> you're just moving everything. Uh, I've got I, all sorts of Easter eggs I, back here. Everything yeah. placed back here is meaningful in one way or another. So there's a little Even the treasure hunt for people. Yeah. Even the plant. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, should we talk about our guest? Yes, because let's do it. I think I'm excited because it's yeah, a it's neurosurgeon. Really I was a little bit nervous just for, on my own Um side of things just because to talk to a neurosurgeon because Mm -hmm. uh, they're much smarter than you. well that's that's absolutely true but also i make fun of neurosurgeons a lot on social media and true but uh, but all in good fun all good absolutely and and he he loved it he loved the videos uh that's the thing which i talk about with surgeons is they they can for the most part all laugh at themselves and i appreciate people that have a good sense of humor and can engage in a little self-deprecation from time to time. It's a lovely yeah. quality to have as a physician, as, as anybody, really. Uh, but our guest is Dr. Oren Gottfried. Uh, he is uh, the professor of neurosurgery and orthopedics and clinical vice chair in the Department of Neurosurgery at Duke. It's an interesting combo. And uh, before we talked to him, I was like, how do you become, you know, where do neurosurgery and orthopedics overlap? To me, spine. that's it, but exactly the spine. Yeah, discovered that because I know like orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons both do like some spinal of the same stuff. spinal work. Mm-hmm. Do they fight over it? I don't know. Mm. Good question. Or maybe There's a you video can just for you. become like kind of like both, like he does. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and I, he, he did, did train in both, but um, I, I yes, he did a neurosurgery residency yes. and then two separate fellowships. That's right. One in spinal oncology and one in uh. Uh, spinal deformity orthopedic surgery. Yep. And so a very uh, educated, well-educated and accomplished individual. In addition to, 
all the academic things he does in neurosurgery, including like research. numerous research uh, or publications. Uh, he's also uh, a lead TV medical consultant. Yes. That was really interesting to talk to him about how all that works. So if you've ever had questions about... If you've thrown the remote at your television. Yeah, about how your favorite show... Uh, you know, came up with some medical thing or did something. He talks a little bit about that. He talks about how he got mm -hmm. started in uh, consulting for medical TV shows. Siberia is that involved a little bit. Easter we egg. talked to all kinds of different things. Yeah, but um, <laughs> very fast, fascinating uh, look into the world of medical entertainment. Yes. Uh, so um, as someone who dabbles in trying to entertain people in medicine ways, uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, so let's talk. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? Let's and do I, it. And I stopped just listening to myself talk and actually mm -hmm. talk with yep. our guest. Yep. 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 Here we go. Dr. Oren Gottfried. All right. We are here today with Dr. Oren Gottfried. Dr. Gottfried, can we call you Oren? Is that okay? Please do. All right. It's so good uh, to, to get a chance to talk with you. I first uh, um, found out about you on Twitter. You've got a, a pretty sizable Twitter following, always posting interesting videos, some of which I, I can I show Kristen. And um, uh, they're very medically related, some surgical videos. And as someone who's not in, in medicine, um, you know, I can kind of, uh, I enjoy seeing her reaction to some of the content you post, which is yeah. always fun. It never ceases to amaze me how you guys get used to some of these things <laughs> <laughs> it gets me in trouble a little because i'm so used to things that i have to use my 10 year old as a radar you know oh. <laughs> i'll have the 10 year old see it and she's like no uh, i don't want to see that i'm like okay i can't post it right <laughs> what is what so what does your 10 year old think of your job uh, as a neurosurgeon i think she is respectful of that um just to give a comparison once I helped on a video game, and that was like much cooler for her and her yeah, friends. For sure. But, but the part that I get to help brains, she thinks it's pretty cool, but yeah. I don't have as much credibility as what that video game had. Oh, right. That yeah. makes sense. That means you're doing it right. If if your children think that, you know, you have absolutely no street cred other than things like video games, then I think you're you're doing <laughs> right. just fine as a parent. Now, you have you have a very uh, an interesting background and in just what you do, not only on the neurosurgery side, but also as a medical consultant on TV, because every everybody in medicine watching these videos has always like at some point thought to themselves like you know who's who's consulting on this on this show or who's coming up with this who's letting them you know barely press on the chest during chest compressions you know that's not the way it's supposed to be so i want to i want to get to that side of things here in a little bit but first um i have a question just about neurosurgery now you're hopefully you you're aware of some of the videos that i make about neurosurgeons of course uh, yes i love them <laughs> so yeah my question like what did I get right? What What do I need to do better? Do you have notes? Do you have notes for me? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think that you, you get it all right. And the way I look at it, if we can't, as a community, look at how things were wrong in the past and laugh at them, then we're, then we're the ones with problems. Yeah. And so I think that for anyone that's been me in medicine for some time, sees the historical element. And we all want to do better. So I don't want the comment, you're nice for a neurosurgeon. That's a really mean comment, like for my nurses. And it's like, mm -hmm. haven't we tried to prove this, you know, over and over and over again for the last 30 years? So I think you get everything right. Yeah. Um, I always worry, you know, that your audience needs to be as um, smart at interpreting things as, you know, the average and someone that accepts a little bit more from the medicine. Yeah. Um, but in general, I get it. And <laughs> just so you know, I have checked. And I think all neurosurgeons find it funny. And the one guy that did it, we don't like him. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it because, and that's why I love making videos uh, that have surgical uh, subspecialists or just surgeons in general in them, because you 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 always have a good sense of humor. Like you don't you don't take yourself like too seriously that you can't laugh at yourself. Which uh, I as a as a self described comedian physician person, like I really appreciate that. So. Thanks for not, uh, you know, being mad at me. <laughs> and, I'm just glad we're noticed, you know? <laughs> it could be that you just chose not to go about neurosurgeons, but the fact that we piqued your interest oh, yeah. and we're part of the dialogue, 
That's good. I love and now you went to residency uh at the University of Utah uh from 2001 to 2007. So what was okay. what was training like then and uh, comparing it to now? Well, you just mentioned where I trained, so I can't tell any of the real dirt, but <laughs> let's pretend like you didn't admit to where I trained. Um it's remarkable um I, I have so many stories. I have to think which ones will get me in less trouble. But I think it's a time it's a time period issue. It's not neurosurgery. Yeah. It's not specific to my program. It just has to do with the the different time. I mean, today it would be fair for a doctor to say it's time to go home. Um, when I trained, you wouldn't want to mention the H word. You know, you would be considered lazy right. for saying home, for wanting to go see your wife and kids, for wanting to have a life outside. And now. In today's world, I love to hear what my residents I get to operate with. I want to hear what they're doing. I mean, I'm living vicariously through them. They're yeah. having the exciting life. And while they're a neurosurgery resident, where when I was in training, I was just a resident. I didn't have anything else going on for a while until I realized that's not right. And so I enjoy the fact that it's different, but I still catch mm -hmm. myself saying, you know, I trained before the ADR work. And it's like, I know I can't see things like that, but <laughs> I, I literally worked. I had several weeks I worked on I don't see how and that's so, possible. Yeah. I, I, oh, wait, how many hours are in a week? It can't be more, much more than that. <laughs> that's uh, because you're like literally living at the hospital. A resident. Sure. Like you were physician. like a resident of the hospital, Reside basically. There, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a shift where we started Friday morning, 5 a.m., and it ended on Monday night whenever we were done rounding. Oh, my god. And gosh. so you lived in the hospital for those days. I mean, I you didn't get to go outside. So I started, you know, my day night cycle was off. I mean, think about how it is when you go to a movie theater and you step out. Think about if you went to a four day movie. I mean, it is so <laughs> hard to get your bearings right. That's yeah. and, so, and I would even have to sneak out on the Monday. Monday after rounds at like eight PM, I'd sneak out. Again, I couldn't say I was going home. I'm going to my other hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's actually that's a really uh it's really good comparison of going to the movie and the, yeah, for, for like four, days. four straight days yeah. a and really uh, a really scary movie yeah really <laughs> very scary it's always amazed and baffled me that the the very people who are learning about what the body needs and how to take care of the body and how to heal the body are the ones that are perpetuating this culture of doing things that are horrible for the body yeah Fortunately, it's a lot better now. Yeah. So much better. I think we still have a ways to go, though. Like, I mm. mean, it, it has come a very long ways, but I think, you know, we're not we're not all the way there yet, but we're much farther. Well, I think also just in general, physicians are still really bad about caring for themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's and that, you know, irrespective of, of right, the work or number of hours you're working, we're just like really bad at yeah. it. So we tend to think we know more about things than maybe we should and don't take th certain things seriously. My sense is you all are thinking like, well, if you're not dying, then <laughs> that's it. Like those are the two options. You're you're fine or you're dying. Which I think, Oren, I think, uh, you know, at, toward the end of a 130 hour shift, I think you probably physically <laughs> you were dying. dying. I think yeah. you were slowly <laughs> succumbing to, to your sleep deprivation. Well, I don't know. Please notice. I mean, I got pulled over more than one time. Um, I, for whatever reason, I was very uncool and I still have my surgeon cap on, but I also, um, when the police <laughs> officer got to my side and saw the surgeon's cap and realized, you know, I wasn't drunk on alcohol, I was just yeah, sleep deprived. They always let me go. So, I mean, just the note at the time, just having a surgical cap and mentioning I was just on call, I didn't get any tickets. They always let me go, but they, they were so worried about me. One of them like followed me home. He made sure my driving was effective enough that I wasn't going to hurt somebody and got me safely to my home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like when that is um, the case, it's time to, <laughs> to take things. a look at the system. Yeah. So, so <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I, I like to make fun of about neurosurgeons is that like, I've never seen a neurosurgery attending. In fact, you might actually be the, like one of the first neurosurgery attendings. Actually, I've been to a neurosurgery conference, but in general, you're, you're kind of like mythical creatures because like going through residency, because I'd, as an ophthalmologist and an ophthalmology resident, I would cross paths with neurosurgery. Most of it's like you getting mad at me because I dilated somebody's eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I never did see the attending neurosurgeon. It's uh, And so whenever you get through residency and you begin, now you're, you, you have an academic career. Um, uh, are you, I mean, you exist. I mean, I guess we can tell people like 
you do actually exist. But it do must we be know nice. that for sure, though? Because he is in the computer. He <laughs> yeah. could be AI. Do you actually do you venture <laughs> into the hospital, even with your your army of residents at your disposal? Yeah, I mean, I don't spend as much time as they do. Um, my my um, where I'm seeing my locations being tracked. You know, it's like when I'm there, people need to know. You know how many minutes away, you know, they're following me real closely. Yeah. But I would say there's less loitering. I, as an attending, uh, yeah. refuse to loiter at the hospital. <laughs> Whereas it wasn't called loitering when I was a resident. It was called being a resident. Right. And yeah. so you basically were required. We would loiter around. We'd stay there until the attending made his, his or her appearance. Yeah. And then we know we were seen. And then we could go. So there was a big element of, let me be around the hospital. Let, mm-hmm. let me be know that I'm at the hospital. And then as an attending, you come in and do your job and you get out. You know, it's just very intentional. Yeah. Not, that's not true. as mythical, but intentional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. And so at what point during your career did this I want to get into the medical consultant stuff now because that is very interesting. Tell me about how that started, I guess. Let's start there. Yeah. So I've been at it for about 13 years, exactly the time period I've been at Duke. So I was a new hire on an academic track for neurosurgery. I was just starting to see patients. You know, I did not have a busy practice. And granted, I'm in North Carolina. My administrative assistant gave me a little post-it, you know, um, that said, consult, doctor in California, and a number. (laughs) And I really thought long and hard, like, I don't really want to accept a transfer. You know, transfers are always complex cases. Like, why aren't there any other hospitals between North Carolina and (laughs) California? And I get on the line and the nice doctor, it actually is a doctor, it is a patient, but he starts telling me, don't hang up on me. Please don't take that. Hang up. He's like, every other neurosurgeon I asked to help me, hung up on. Oh, no. Like, okay, you already sound pretty sad, so let me help you. And he's like, I'm working on a pilot about a neurosurgeon that's trying to cure his wife. His wife has some terminal illness. I need to know what that is. How are we going to save her? And I'm like, this is kind of cool. You know, I know, yeah. you know, I know medicine, I know neurosurgery but I've never thought creatively about storytelling at that point. And so I helped him through that case. Um, the pilot never went anywhere, but he saw that I really enjoyed it. And so one thing led to another, and I found myself doing a lot of voluntary work for many years, but then eventually became the guy, you know, the person for shows. And I regularly still do voluntary work where shows can just phone me up for a one episode question. I actually embrace that quite a bit because Hmm. medical shows are going to get a lot of things right because they're working with a consultant where TV really gets it wrong is when no one thought about that Dr. Dr. Google was enough. You know, they thought they could squeeze it by and get away with it. And then at the last second, they think, wait, there are ways to get in touch with a doctor and not just your <laughs> next door neighbor that, <laughs> right. you know, is a podiatrist, nothing wrong with podiatry, but it was a neurosurgery question. And so they probably could do it, but in general, yeah. um, so the show's not realizing they need someone is where they could really benefit. But I helped one show that led to another show and I just regularly get called up to do new work and I love it. So I, I didn't realize that, I guess it makes sense that, you know, for a movie with a bigger budget, you know, they'd actually have consultants. And I, I mean, I, it makes sense, I guess, that that TV shows were just winging it all these years. And that's what was happening. Like they weren't, they were just kind of trying to figure it out on their own. Well, not for medical shows. I do feel modern medical shows have not just one consultant. I mean, there's Grey's Anatomy yeah, okay. literally has like uh, interns. They have a doctor. They have this big <laughs> program with like 20 doctors. So I would say that any medical show figured it out. What happens yeah. is you have an episode where a main character is in a coma and you think about does coma mean sleep or is it something different? And it's like, if you portray it as a deep sleep, you're going to upset a lot of people, not just the doctors and nurses, but loved ones that have had a family member. And mm. so I think it's this, we only have a medical story for one episode. We can meet it. And oh, there gotcha. are free services. One of them's Hollywood health and society where all they do is match up writers with um, medical types. And so oh. every, and not just like I'm covering it all, it's like every specialty. So there's an answer. But when I think to myself, I'm watching a show, I've already thrown the remote. If there was yeah. a remote, I'm mad. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going and like, you know, changing the channel, never watching, you know, that streaming service again. I think, could they have just called me? They could have called me. We had this nice five minute call. I could be very focused if I want to. <laughs> and we just hash out the issue. Right. So it's like something I couldn't help 
with a few answers, you know, yeah. like throw on nasal cannula, a few extra beeping noises, put the head of bed at 30 degrees, you know, have some mannitol running or what have you. I could have helped them through it and they didn't know they needed my help. And so you, so you got that first call, which uh, it sounds like it was kind of just happenstance, right? Like they, they, they tried, uh, any just going through of, the phone book, it sounded the, like exactly <laughs> desperate. Uh, and they landed on you, and and you're willing to help them, and so it it just kind of snowballed from there. But was it? It wasn't all like neurosurgery or neuro, you know, neuroscience related questions, right? I assume you were probably being consulted on all kinds of things in medicine. Yeah, I mean, it's all kinds of shows. I mean, my first true show I landed on was Royal Pains. I mean, you oh, I remember might that. know the story, but. You know, it's a guy who lives in the Hamptons and he's not allowed to be in the hospital. So he's doing all of his medical care, like at the mansions, <laughs> very wealthy people. And so right away I had to adapt to the fact that I'm not going to get a hundred percent reality, but it's like the, the illnesses we deal with are going to be portrayed in a fair manner. We're not going to get, I have too many coincidences, you know, where you can do a barrel in someone's kitchen and then, you know, <laughs> next scene later, you know, they're in their living room enjoying a cocktail. So, I mean, I'm making things congruent. But I couldn't put all the connections together. So, but then I went from Royal Pains to Elementary. So, you know, it's a murder who done it, and you know, obviously the creator of Sherlock Holmes. It's about a doctor, and so, but they didn't ask me doctor questions. I had to create their murder and then have Watson solve the murder using scientific approach and using medicine. And so I was answering really weird questions like, you know, holding if you hold up a vacuum to someone's nose, how long would it take to suck out all of their oxygen? You cannot look that up on the internet. It doesn't exist. And my internet search would have led me to prison. Yeah. You know, so I'm looking up so many bad things. But it allowed me to use medical knowledge to not only create the drama and the story, but to solve the case. And so I enjoyed that. So yeah, that so you're in, you're involved in the the writing of the story too in some in some shows. Is that Yeah, so I mean where I could be used the most is that I'm helping the writers. I could pitch a story I could help break the story with the writer. I could help coordinate and push things in the right direction. And then I'm even reading scripts and outlines. So while I, I do have some onset stories, most of my work is working with the writers. I'm working on the writing end. Have you ever, uh, are there any specialties like, I don't know, for instance, ophthalmology, where you're like, yeah, you need to talk to somebody who actually you know knows a lot about eyeballs. Does that ever? I'm kinda... sure he could refer you I to mean, some I, of his I, partners. I know, I know a few people. I'm just saying, if you don't want to you know, do the eyeball stuff, like it's, uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. I think that I'm only as good as my, my contacts. So while I can give a quick answer, do I respect the show enough that they need a higher level expert? So absolutely. The issue is the writers know they like there's horse whispers. The writers are horn whispers. They know mm -hmm. me already. They know how I talk. So I can't bring in a bunch of consultants. Yeah. They're going to have their own doctor speak and they're going to have to figure them out. You know, it took five years for um, one of my shows to figure me out. So the good part is then I interpret the the expert and I just give them the knowledge. Oh, that's right. So my right. shows don't care if it's accurate, but I, as accurate as I want it to be. But when I, I love to talk to the specialists, like yeah. at Duke University, I'll sit in the doctor's lounge and then I see the urologist walk in and I'm like, I have some urology questions for you. You know, <laughs> I see the orthopedic search. I have some questions for you. Now, granted, they all come in through the other entrance to avoid me, but I mean, I'm smart <laughs> They're on and I now. can just track them down. <laughs> it's actually very similar to the way in some ways, how I put my skits together, because like, I don't know anything about urology. I don't know anything about, you know, most non-ophthalmology related things. And so I have to do a lot of my own research to try to come up, come up with something that's, that seems accurate, you know, that can pass for actual medical knowledge, because that's, as you can attest, I'm sure like, that's really important because if there's one thing that like medical people, doctors, nurses, they'll, they will like, just like latch on to the one inaccurate thing and just it just ruins it for like the rest of the episode so you just do a lot of research I, you're probably not going to give your sources away but I'm, when it comes to like neurology neurosurgery you're like yeah very very accurate so you must trust the, your sources oh, no. you must do a lot of research I'll, I'll tell i'll tell you what i do um it's it's not that sophisticated <laughs> Well, because see, in ophthalmology, I'm not in the hospital, so I don't routinely interact with, I don't just, I wouldn't just see a urologist come in. They'd be very lost if that ever happened. <laughs> they'd, a, be, they'd be there 
as a patient. Uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so I, I don't physically interact with them. So what I do is I will like, if I have an idea for something, I'll get on Reddit threads that are like eight to 10 years old. And because of this one universal truth, it's that people complain about their jobs on social media. And so I'll, I'll just look at these really old Reddit threads or whatever, and just listen to what these different specialists are talking about. And I'll, it'll give me an idea for something. And then I just have to, you know, gain some of the knowledge that way. Uh, why are, why the old threads? Well, they don't have to be old. It's just like that seems it, the point is people have been talking about for all these things time. for a long period of yeah. time. And so it's very easy to to find the little nuggets of knowledge that I things need. Things that have lasted through yeah. the years. And then and then it's coming from the actual physicians in those specialties. And mm-hmm. so that I, I, I have to assume it's accurate. So I use it and it turns out it's. Luckily, his stuff is satire, so if he gets it wrong, it's just part of the joke. Exactly, but, yeah. <laughs> I think you probably have to be a little more accurate in what you do. Yeah. But I mean, the, the fact is, I'm just looking at old um, articles. And so when it comes to research, I'm going to want to quote, you know, JAMA, New England Journal, Lancet. But I'm okay if it's the case report of name a new country we've never heard of. It's like, I'll look at journals that aren't necessarily, because I need to find weird stuff that mm-hmm. people, you know, wasn't in New England Journal last week, never even saw that. So I actually look up case reports, but I go to the really obscure journals <laughs> with the impact factor of the editor and two of his friends. <laughs> and it's like, and and I trust it because at least published, but at the same yeah. time, that's fascinating. How do you pick up the faces of all the doctors? You must have some memory of those doctors to to recreate the visuals on your, your yeah. position. Well, well, first, so so you're basically going to like the neurologic neurosurgical journal of Siberia to find your <laughs> yeah to find your stuff. Yeah, I would say um, there are certain characters that I I have a mental image of them from my own med school experience. So I've come across certain types of doctors. Some of them are just totally made up. Like the, I mean the the emergency medicine doc. You know, he's he's wearing the the all the biking gear. You know, I, I can't say I've ever actually actually one time I did see an emergency physician actually show up in the hospital with bike gear on. So I, I guess that one is actually. With uh, a white literally. coat or no white coat? <laughs> no white coat. <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever put a white coat on, but or practice medicine while wearing a helmet. Um, they would go along with the 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 safety <laughs> uh, kind of side of the things there. But um, yeah, I, I guess most of them now are made. My memory's kind of fading of everything. You know, all the other medical specialties. So a lot of the personalities, I think people relate to them because they are. Um, uh, different personalities and different specialties are very consistent like over generations right so like neurosurgeons like i'm sure you probably see a lot of the same types of personalities of among neurosurgeons when you go to like a neurosurgery yeah. certain conference. traits that lend themselves yeah. better to some specialties than to others well i don't know what do you think is it the chicken or the egg like is it a certain personality that that joins a specialty or is it the specialty that makes the personality or maybe a combination of both you know, I don't know. I think because of our awareness at this point, um, everybody acknowledges that where there's diversity, there's going to be a, we're, we're not going to know what the other person's about to say. We're not going to be a bunch of clothes. So I think we have almost identified what the typical personality is. And then we love when someone wants to go to neurosurgery that just strikes us as totally unique, new perspective. So I think it's that self-awareness that we don't want to be perceived, you know, let's just say as studious or Early yeah. that we actually have really good stories. When I sit on residency panels and we look through what people accomplished, I would never get into training this, these days. You know, they're so well accomplished. They've done so it's much. Scary. They have I so know. much personality. Like, I mean, the opposite of what we're talking about now with the neurosurgeon that does that personality. It's almost like they have so much personality that when I'm in the OR with them, I seem like I'm more interesting. And it's like, so it pays <laughs> off well to bring, you know, bring in people that are really well-rounded, really different. And we, you know, I we... totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's. I, I actually do have my, uh, my med school application. At least my, my, you know, some of it. I like nowhere, nowhere even close to to the types of applicants that are applying these days. It's, it's scary. They all have Nobel prizes. Yeah, it's they've all fair. like started businesses and run a nonprofit. <laughs> it really and... is incredible. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad I don't have to apply now. But also the research. That's the other thing. Like, did you do a lot? Of, I mean, you've you've published. Okay, here's a question. Like, 
<laughs> how are you doing all this? All right. People ask me that. Like, right. I'm just making like two minute skits. All right. You're like you you, you publish. You have like what? A, somewhere around a thousand papers. I don't know. Most of which are not in the Journal of Siberia. But <laughs> I've never been in the Siberian Journal. I really want one day. <laughs> Good um, to have goals. Yeah. But you, so you got the, the you're still you're still publishing, right? You're still doing research. And um, yeah. and uh, you also have this this kind of secondary uh, gig here with uh, being a TV consultant. And you've also started dabbling in acting, I understand. Is that right? You're doing a little yeah, acting? Just a little. Did that did that come naturally as a neurosurgeon? Um, well, I mean, I'm playing. So just so you know, I'm playing Dr. Warren Gott. So it's like it's not oh, that acting. Okay. <laughs> my character is my name. I just happen to work at another facility. Um, so I'm already helping in the crafting of the stories. So it's like okay. sometimes I even get to contribute to how I, you know, some of my lie. And so I think it comes well because I already have a vision of how the scene looks that collaborated with the writers so much that I've just placed myself into the mix. Um, but I love it. Yeah. The way I look at it is I get to experience complications that I never want to experience, but I want to know how to do better. So we write these awful complications the doctors are having to deal with. I've never had that one, but I feel like when the patients ask me, have you ever had this particular problem? I'm like, yeah, I will mention it was on you know, a TV show, but I have mitigated <laughs> risk. I've, I've got You've the patients survived. Yeah. 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 So I've worked through the situation. So I feel like it's very healthy and cathartic for me to be able to, you know, go through that experience, but not really having gone through that experience. Yeah. Like a little practice run. Yeah. Trial run for weird cases. But but how how many days are you clinically like seeing patients doing surgery? Yeah, so I have a, a typical five day week, um, not counting when I'm on call. Um, I do clinic three days a week, and I do I'm in the operating room two days. Um, I do I'm just a modern doctor. I don't like the idea of operating from seven a.m. to nine p.m. That is the mm -hmm. that is not even a possibility for me. So I really make my schedule in such a way that I do have time for research. I do have time to mm. you know eat dinner with my family, things that are really important. And so I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not the typical neurosurgeon. If you know anything you know, about RVUs, you do. Um, I'm not trying to do 25,000 RVUs. I mean, to me, it was the, the really important people, like the ones I respect, they're actually able to operate at a very high level, complex cases, volume, but yet they're still well-rounded. That's, you know, that to me is a harder solution to figure out. I prioritize my patients and my life. You know, those are my two things. And mm -hmm. my life, I'm I'm better off doing the consultant because it's it's a joy. It's kind of fun. I get yeah. to you know Creative dabble outlet. with a Hollywood type. Yeah, you know, it's a nice outlet. But I do research. I like doing looking into. Um, we all try to practice really fair care, but patients are not getting fair care. You know, mm -hmm. before they even get to the hospital, before they even get to the clinic, they're not in an equal situation to do well. And it's like, why do some people do really well with the sur surgery? And the other ones have the same surgeon, same surgery, and they don't do as well. So I really like looking into, I hate that I have to, looking into disparities of care, inequities, and social mm. determinants of health. That I, I, I'm just, that's the area I'd like to figure out. You know, we all can, as surgeons, we can all do really good surgeries. But if we're finding that we're denying a proportion of the population success for whatever reason it is, we owe it to them to figure out why and try to level the playing field. And as you go through neurosurgery residency, wasn't research a part of your training? I think I, I think that's pretty typical, right, for neurosurgery residencies. It's usually one year in the middle, kind of between the junior years and senior years. I always thought it was done because you you're done with the junior years and you want to come in with positive notes. They make you forget over the year what it was like over that year, and then come back <laughs> all charged up. But it's also good to do research. And so many people start their research careers during that during that time and you know, might do some real hardcore basic science work. I've always thought that I'd rather have a living living lab than an actual lab. So I like to work with data and work with outcomes. But I have a lot of respect for people that like to work in the lab. Yeah, me too. I've sp I spent a little bit of time at a lab in college. And uh, it's a, a hard, it's extremely hard work. And it also taught me that it's not something I want to do with my life. And so... <laughs> I, I appreciate that experience. But somebody's how, got to do it. It's somebody's hard work, do it. so it's yeah. good that I just, I just uh, couldn't, uh, I didn't have the patience for doing like PCRs and gene sequencing and all that stuff. So I'm glad we have people that do that though. Okay. Did you always, was an academic career always in your future? Did you know you wanted that early? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just the idea of giving back. You know, we learn 
how to do things. We get to function at a high level. And I could just work with the patients, which to me, that's a lot and that's everything. But I also like the idea that I get back to a younger group and actually teach. Yeah. And I like the idea that we're never, we're all learners. We never finish learning. And for me, academics is acknowledging every day you show up, but you've not figured it out. You know, my, the residents may ask me a question that I've never thought of, or, you know, it just prompts me then to go looking at the research, looking at the data. So I always thought, thought that that would be where I wanted to land, but it is hard when there's so many restrictions on how we practice medicine and working in academics, you're accepting the whole sphere of things, you know, that are practiced at a different level. It's not the typical, just go operate a ton and, mm-hmm. you know, be, be good to your patients. There's just a whole lot more to it, but I enjoy the whole lot more, you know, teaching research. Well, I think you're, you're dispelling a lot of the, um, maybe the myths that unfortunately there are some like, you know, comedian ophthalmologists out there that like to perpetuate <laughs> about, Stereotype. about stereotypes about neurosurgery. So, so well done, keep up the good work. Um, but let's, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Oren Gottfried. Hey, Kristen, you know why a stethoscope is so hard to use? Um, because there's no heartbeat in an eyeball. That's actually a really good point, uh-huh. but also the heart is quiet. The, the, mm. the sounds are somewhat distant and sometimes you're in a noisy environment and you're trying to listen mm. to all the, the beeps and boops and whatever other noises there are in the heart. Uh, but with Echo Health's 3M Litman Core Digital Stethoscope, it's easier than ever. You get 40 times sound amplification, mm. active background noise cancellation. Honestly, even an ophthalmologist could figure it out. I also really could have used one of those before I had to do 10 minutes of CPR on you. Yeah. It leads to earlier detection, better outcomes, something that's definitely meaningful for us. And we have a special offer for our U.S. listeners. Visit echohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOC50 to experience Echo's digital stethoscope technology. That's E-K-O health slash KKH and use NOC50 to get $50 off plus a free case plus free engraving with this exclusive offer. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It just sits there in the room with you, just helps you be more efficient, and it helps with uh, reducing clinical documentation burden. Yeah, and that can help you feel less overwhelmed and burnt out and just kind of restore the joy to practicing medicine. And we all want that. So stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are back with Dr. Gottfried. So, Oren, uh, I know that you have, uh, I'm sure, lots of interesting stories working with uh, the Hollywood types and in this whole different world of entertainment. Uh, and so, you know, tell me about, you know, shooting scenes. I know you've been working on the with um, The Good Doctor, which is how many seasons has The Good Doctor been on now? Um, six Seven? seasons. They just finished their six. Okay, okay, gotcha. Season. Yeah. So tell me what that's what that was like shooting a scene for the Good Doctor. It was definitely a, a maybe. So as it developed, and I was hoping it'd be become a certainty. But what the the episode involved that all the residents were trying to figure out how to do this really really hard once in a lifetime spine surgery, and they're all kind of competing with each other to see who gets the case. And so at one point they're in this lab working on like a really like a dummy or a simulator where they're trying to put in the screws and they each one of the residents, the attendings walking around and each one of the residents has to show what they did. And it's like, you know, didn't do right. This is awful. Why didn't you do that? But during it, there is a video playing of this fake course they took. And I was the instructor. And so I was teaching a course on how to do things better. So that's the premise. Um, I wasn't given a lot of information and I wasn't given any supplies, but I was just told, why don't you teach this fake lecture? Um, again, no fancy cameras, no audio, just me. And they're like, why don't you teach a lecture? We don't care what you say. Probably won't even put your voice in, but we just want it to look legitimate. So, I mean, I'm thinking this was before I had an acting role in another show. And I was just thinking, this is my one time to be on air. I'm going to put everything into it. I'm just going <laughs> to like, I'm going to hire a bunch of video videographers. I'm going to get a bunch of dummies. I'm going to have all the coolest tools. And I spent hours just coming out with my first product and sent it over. And I'm not like sending it in some fancy format. I literally did this with my iPhone. That's what I wanted. And I don't get any feedback, like none. 
I'm like, did I do wrong? Who did I piss off? You know, <laughs> all I did was everything they said. And like a few days later, cryptically, I get a try again, <laughs> but I didn't get any feedback. I didn't. Huh. All they said is preferably we don't want to see your whole face. So like they don't, I yeah. don't know. They just want to see my hand. So not a lot of feedback and all credit to them. I'm the one pushing this along. They could have just said, they even said, we could just shoot this locally and, you know, no big deal. I'm like, no, I'm going to get this right. <laughs> and so I do another version, but granted, I had to have all these spine cut out. Like they're simulate, they're like yeah. slide models, but I'm like chopping them up left and right. And I have all like a bunch of friends, like help me get them from all over the country, but it's not easy to buy a fake spine. You should see my locker now. I never threw them away and it's just filled with a bunch of spines. Um, <laughs> But I do another iteration and it doesn't, it feels the same to me. Like I didn't have any feedback and I set it in and again, cryptically, I get a little feedback better. I'm like, I don't better. know which part's better. Like, like maybe one thing, like focus a little bit more on your hands. And so I did the next one and it, it worked. I think and they made the okay. final cut. Did you ever figure out what they were going for there or just? Well, I watched the final episode and it was me working in the background, but, um, yeah, but it's in the OR, so I left that out. But I'm doing all these scenes in the OR. If you know anything about how medicine's practiced right now, like everything's about capacity. You have to like yeah. use every OR. The fact that I right. found an OR to shoot this in, and my colleagues would come in and like, what are you doing? <laughs> like I had all these props and things, and they're like, we need to use that OR for an emergency. But all the I, I paid off all the nurses in the OR to tell them what's up. And they're like, no, <laughs> we can't use this OR. This is Gottfried's OR. He's shooting a C. And <laughs> So it was just fun to actually uh, be in my home environment, the OR. Yeah. And yet I'm not doing anything. Like I, I did take off a few hours to do this each time, but I, it was just fun to be in my own home and home away from home, shoot this, and then to know, it, you know, my university, everything made it to the final cut. So it was just, it was especially fun for me. I think maybe the producers of cut. the show, uh, maybe they underestimated just how much of a perfectionist physicians are. Mm. So uh, you're right. <laughs> you know. More feedback would have been would have been nice, but you know you got it. Nice job. Yeah, and um, uh, also <laughs> you, I love it because you gave us these uh, a few little prompts of different stories, you know, from your time and uh, doing all this stuff, and they they really like leave me wanting to know more. So tell me about uh, an actor that attacked you. <laughs> wow, yeah, that was quite the thing. So I've been on sets many times now. Obviously, I've even acted, but the very first time I was on set. It was a new, it was elementary. It was a new show. And so everybody's new to each other. So there's not a lot of playing rules, but I was told by all the writers, whatever you do, you know, don't, don't look any of the actors in the eye. Don't walk up to them. Don't tell them anything. You can talk to them if they talk to you. And so I show up the first day and it's a new show. So no one knows who's the guest on set, but I'm sitting, they have me sit in like the, you know, the video village in like the director's seat, you know, I'm sitting with like the, the big wig. Uh -huh. And so each one of the actors slowly migrate to me trying to figure out, you know, am I with the network, with the studio, yeah. who am I? And right away I tell them, I'm just a medical consultant. Some people say, oh, I didn't even think we had one. And so I'm just <laughs> getting to know them, but I'm kind of chill, not doing much. Um, but the lead of the show has not come up to me to talk. And so you all eat together in the lunchroom. And, and so I just like sat at his table. I admired his work. I thought he was cool. I thought it would be fun. And he just didn't look up he just was eating his food and he's almost done with his meal i'm almost done with my meal he's probably going to go you know study his lines and do things that are productive and i'm just loitering on the set <laughs> and he just turns to me out of nowhere he's like you know you really should um, introduce yourself we have a customer you need to introduce yourself and, and i just said i was told not to bug the actor she's like that's all right and i'm, I'm not even trying to emulate his act, yeah. you know, his speech patterns but he was like no when you come out of my set, when you come out of a new set, we're all people. You need to introduce yourself. And I just think to myself, okay, wow, oh, wow. you know, I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself. And to this date, I it, it got yeah. it went further. But to this date, I didn't know if he was I'm joking with me. You know, <laughs> yeah. I am a neurosurgeon. Sometimes it's hard to figure out, or if he was totally serious. <laughs> but it did escalate a little bit. And then another actor, a character that was just a guest actor on the show, sat down, and he's also very famous. It was kind of random to be at that table. And he changed the subject because this other actor, every line he says is F this, F that. And it's like all the F bombs kind of distracted the actor. So it kind of changed the subject. But I wanted to join in in this conversation just to see if, was I really on the, the crap list or was it all a joke? <laughs> yeah. And I did engage. I brought up mad cow disease and things I know a lot about. And it really worked. 
And I got into the mix of the conversation and I just didn't, I still this thing, I don't know if he was just picking on me, if I really upset him, but just think I sat there through a whole 20 minute meal. He didn't even look up or look at me. And then at the, you know, one moment he just tells me, you, you screwed up. You should have said hi. So um, it never got to the point of physical, like hitting me, but I did feel pretty dumb for a while. <laughs> so lesson learned, if you want to really hit things off. Uh, in a group of new people, bring up mad cow disease. Yes. It's a it's a great <laughs> icebreaker. Really great. And it's a neurosurgeon I know about. You know, right. I, I know, you know, prion disease. It's like something that I've had yeah. to go through. Well, let's, Um, I want to play a little game. This is a, a, about uh, this side of your life, this entertainment side of your life. Um, it's called medical matchup. All right. So I uh, have four scenarios. These are all things that have happened on a show that you've consulted on, okay? I'm going to give you the scenario, and I want you to tell me which show it's from. All right, let's see if let's see how good your memory is. Because you've been doing this for quite a while now, right? So A long time. Um, all right, so let's go. <laughs> so, I love some of these. All right, so the first scenario here. A recently brain-dead patient is taken off of life support so she can donate her face to the injured patient who has a chance to live with the transplant. Good doctor. That's the good doctor. Yes. A face transplant. A face transplant. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Can we do those yet? I can't remember. I, yeah. I, I think, remember face off from like being a kid and that was like way no, I, science I think, fiction I think it at has the time. Happened, but... hasn't it? Yeah, there's partial and complete and they've done a number. I mean, I think the it's ten years now that they've been doing them or slightly less, yeah. but oh, okay. they're doing really well. It's still the the problem that the patients have to be on anti-rejection medications, and it's a very complex anastomosis. So I don't think it's for every you know patient that unfortunately has suffered you know severe yeah. damage to their face, but I think they're going to get better and better at. That sounds like a long surgery. Yeah. I, all day those yeah. anastomoses. I mean, just the way that they take off the initial face. These are individuals, unfortunately, they're very scarred in because of the trauma they've been mm -hmm. through. Um, very high um, chance that the that you know. Blood supply is not enough. Um, probably using leeches even for helping with the you know venous um, congestion. So yeah, definitely a lot for a TV story, but um, a lot for you know I can't even imagine. Like I think about this when we do the TV work. Is what does it really feel like to be you know a patient or a family member? And that's where I put my foot down and say the story has to be accurate because yeah. someone's actually been through it. Right. And I can't a little minimize marginalize anything. I you have to be so sensitive to the fact that someone's actually been through this and be honest exactly. right. and just because i know a lot of listeners their ears are going to perk up uh to hear you say that uh leeches are sometimes used in medicine still and help with venous congestion that was the uh -huh. exactly yeah. on our Absolutely. last episode we were just talking about that so it's kind of full circle moment here. we were wondering actually like <laughs> in what instances that is actually used because I've, I've never actually seen it but again uh i'm in my own little corner of medicine so we don't use them no routinely leeches in on eye the eyeballs. No, no, no. Oh, wow, that's good TV. That's yeah. good TV. There you right go. There. Ready, There's an idea. Ready it down. <laughs> we right. accept commissions. No, I'm just kidding. All right, here's here's my next scenario for you. Okay, <laughs> what show is this from? A pilot has severe stomach issues. Turns out that he has an addiction to drinking gasoline. Oh, wow. Do you remember this? It may not have been something you consulted on, but... I mean, I would have to go with Chicago Med. Yes, you Chicago Med. You got you it. You drank gasoline once. You uh, weren't addicted to that it. That was not a purposeful, uh, <laughs> and I was a child, but, you know... He oh, had wow. a gas station accident. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> my mom's going to kill me for I telling know. the story, but... Um, How old were you? Oh, I was, I was probably like eight or nine or something i'm a poster child for don't let your kids even if they want to help you put the gasoline Pump in the gas, car yeah. don't let that happen because <laughs> of course i screwed it up and uh oh, kind of pulled the, sprayed the nozzle the out face. sprayed myself in the face <laughs> i was fine but you know had the emergency room trip and all that stuff i just remember oh. them taking all my clothes off and just pouring buckets of cold water on me mm. i just that's that's like the only thing i remember from that experience like that was the worst part <laughs> yeah that was that was terrible who anyway. fills the gas in your family then i we think you'd be traumatized to the point where you never go to a gas station that's why we live in oregon yeah they pump no. it for you oh. here you're not allowed to pump your own I, i'm sorry i didn't even think about it's, that now i totally understand why you live there yeah it was the one and only reason we had to move out here it is absolutely not the reason we live in oregon in fact i think it's 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 really frustrating 
I really don't like. It takes a long time. It takes forever. You have to wait, have to wait for some, but it's you know it's the economy and it creates jobs and stuff. So it's weird. There's only yeah. two states. Do you know what the other state is that where you can't pump your own gas? I was gonna make up Alaska, but I have no idea. New Jersey, well, New Jersey, New Jersey, and Oregon. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Here's the next one. This might be the last one. All right. A man has severe pain but refuses to talk. Turns out he has a gun lodged inside his rectum. And the doctors need to safely remove the gun without it going off. I would say Chicago Med. That's also Chicago Med, yes. And it's making me want to watch Chicago Med because, <laughs> my God, the scenarios that have uh, so that many I've questions heard, read about that from yes. that. <laughs> so, so many questions. Um, I've never heard of that being a, something in some. I know there's a lot of things that can be put up there, but a, yeah, a gun, I would. A I would gun. imagine That's perhaps. Rough. Well, I wouldn't think that would be one of those where they where that is um, self-inflicted. Yeah, I don't know. But you never know. Let's not ask those questions. I'm sure we can watch the show and find <laughs> out. All right. Actually, I do have one more. Okay. Um, this one, probably a very common scenario, actually. Painful patient has painful headaches, memory loss, and hallucinations, which leads to a diagnosis of post-concussive, post-concussion syndrome, the result of too many blows to the head. Which patient was that? Well, I mean, there's going to and i'm not sure if you have all my shows we did have that on elementary yes it was uh, elementary okay. yes yeah i mean that was the major character that got mad at me in the cafeteria oh really oh, oh that was it okay all right well that's funny we didn't even know that was going to be give us <laughs> give us connection. your can you give us your personal like top three favorite medical shows absolutely mm -hmm. i'm really a, i'm really a sucker for those i love when a show gets it right yeah so am i going in order or just listing yeah let's go in order go in order yeah. yes start at the bottom okay, let... number three so we're doing my my best favorite show yeah so as your number one is your favorite and then so start at three and go up to one let's hear it okay the ones that just, just jump ones... out at you yeah so i'm gonna put up my list i'll just go with i'll put mash up Ooh, and that I, is a i'll good tell one. you why I mean, there's a, it's a comedy. It's you know dark and dealing with a very tough subject. But they actually hired a medical. I looked it up. Hmm. They actually had a surgeon that helped them. And just at that time, I already I'm contradicting myself because I said there was a time where shows didn't even know they needed somebody. But that show no knew they needed somebody. And I just think now, granted, sometimes they're doing surgery without gloves on. You know, granted, there are times where something should have been. They've been they should be paying attention to the surgery and not what they're doing. But Still, I, I just think they do a good job and I can watch the show and I don't, it's not cringeworthy. I can actually yeah. <laughs> accept their logic. So that's one. I would put ER next. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm of an age that I did have ER before I was in medical school to some extent. And I just felt like the intensity and the accuracy, the fact that they could say things in a, in a way that they could be saying complete garbage if you're non-medical and wouldn't even know, but they sounded so good and it was so intense. And yet it was accurate and they didn't stray from accuracy very often. So I feel like they really um, I agree. stayed strong to that. Um, there was a short-lived show that really captured my interest. It was The Nick. And oh, it yeah. Was on, like, That's like Cinemax. Showtime or Cinemax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some yeah. weird small ne network. But it, it, it dealt with like the creation of medicine. So we're like in 1910 in New York City. And now, granted, not all of the inventions in medicine came out in New York City, but I'm sure a bunch did. But they they put together like a bunch of stories that didn't exist as far as medicine, but it all seemed realistic. You really felt like that surgeon was creating medicine right in front of you, like putting cocaine into someone's spinal fluid for anesthetic or some guy operating on himself. But it was only two seasons. But yeah. the medicine to me was very accurate. Now, granted, they didn't have fancy machines. So there was only a limited amount of what you could do. But I bought into it. And when that show was didn't make it to a third season, I was pretty sad. So I'm still a little sore. I, I have to go so, revisit that show because I remember watching a, a few episodes and thinking it was really good. So yeah. that's, that's uh, which, you know, those cable shows, you know, the, the only other, I think, was it was it Showtime or HBO that had the, what's the plastic surgery show that was pretty oh, awful? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know exactly. Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck. Nip -tuck. Nip -tuck. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that was that's that's been a while since that one. I, my, my sister watched it. That's how I yeah. like, the, heard about it. But how about Scrubs? What's your what's your opinion on that? I mean, I love the dynamic. So yeah. the rapport, the banter. I mean, I would say if things just my own judgment, the things that align with your comedy, I would say the closest. Like yeah, honestly, I could see you as a character on that show if the timing was right. You, I mean yeah. 
you wouldn't need other characters. You just run the whole show. But I'm saying <laughs> it fits that vibe. You know, like you're all of your various characters. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't have to rewrite. Like I always think if I pitch an idea to the writers and they just take it, I'm so cool. Like they wouldn't need to rewrite your stuff. It would just fit it. So I felt yeah. the banter and the communication and the style and the respect for the attendings and how residents only survived with each other. They could rely on yeah. each other. It captured that like no other show. Absolutely. I, they need I to do, do a remake then. Well, I do draw a lot of inspiration, you know, from, because I, I grew up watching Scrubs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's a very formative TV show in my, in my life. So, um, yeah. I have to ask about one more, for Scrubs. which is House. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just this background, the, the majority of people that created Good Doctor created House. So um, I grew up, you know, I was at a time I watched it. Um, I, I think it was very accurate. I do lo like the patterns, you know, like someone would code at 20 minutes on every episode. There are certain yeah. things that <laughs> watch a show, you respect it. But I mean, to, like fundamentally, we are all very strong and we're caring and we're doctors. But are we all flawed? 100% right. we're all flawed. Mm -hmm. And we're all flawed in different ways. And so for a show to admit that there's a lot going on, but when you turn on, you know, you put the white coat on, you go see a patient, can you turn it on? Can you do right for your patient? And so I felt like it's a show that shows the human character that no one's perfect. They had a, you know, a good crew of people dealing with their own struggles, but right. very similar to The Good Doctor. Everybody can step up and do the right thing, but yeah, we're all dealing with a lot. So I felt like House did a really good job. Of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah kind of the human side of a doctor well there you go so it was mash uh er and uh the nick yeah that were that were your top three that's a good list right there i'm yeah. sure you could probably do a lot more but um those are good ones well oren thank you so much for coming on it really has been a pleasure talking with you and getting your uh hearing about your experience in the entertainment world which is something that's always fascinated me so keep up the awesome work uh, now you're on Twitter. Uh, that's how I, uh, you know, first heard about you on Twitter. Uh, OG Duke Neurosurge. Uh, and what else? Uh, are you working on anything else? Do you? What do you got going on in your life that you want people um, to know about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always this volunteer work and the shows I'm working on. Um, I, my research, um, I do a lot with data, and um, a big project I've taken on. I've become a national chair for data for American Spy Registry. So we collect data from. 200 centers around the country, and then we look at how we can get, make outcomes better. I mentioned earlier how I'm really interested in disparities and yeah. equal in score. And so as, as a data manager being, you know, in charge, a chair, I just feel like we're going to do great things with all this data and probably, you know, hopefully improve the quality of care we all deliver. That's awesome. Yeah. Keep up the great work and um, uh, congrats on somehow finding time to do all of these yeah. things. Um, it's, <laughs> well, thank it's awesome. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. All right, big thanks to Dr. Gottfried for coming on uh, and giving his uh, perspective on on sh TV medical shows. That's yeah. something I've always been curious about. I know, me like too. How they how they get the accuracy or or inaccuracy. So if you have a medical TV show and that, that's your favorite, and that they say something that's medically incorrect, you can blame Oren for that. <laughs> for all medical TV shows, <laughs> all it, medical TV across no, all of time. He said there are a lot of them. Like the like yeah. Grey's Anatomy has like an army of, of right. I'd imagine too, it's a balance of right, like a trade off between story and yeah, yeah it can't be hundred percent so. accuracy because it's it would, not a research journal; it's a television show, right? Like there's got to be some drama. Yeah, you don't want it to like be one hundred percent accurate to medicine because no one who wants understand. to watch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Um, all right, so let's get to stories, should we? Let's do it. All right, so we Listener have stories. a couple of our favorite medical stories that were sent in by listeners. So our first story comes from Jessica. I started doing a thing. I have I I haven't read these beforehand. Oh, so I'm just gonna like do it. We're just gonna listen to it and we'll let's see, see see what happens. What was that thing? Do you know in UIL when we were kids and we had those academic competition? There's a speech one, but there was one where you like. I thought there was one where you had to read something unseen like this i thought this was an event in uil oh, was it and you got judged on your performance well do people know what uil is i don't what know was that, a, was that just a texas thing it was an academic competition i have like no idea in high school what it stands know. for anyway. yeah middle school high school it was like olympics for nerds well there was one that I was loved it. 
There was one that was called Ready Writing. I did that one. I, I did was that. not to brag, but I, I I got some awards in Ready Writing. Very good. Mm -hmm. Where you get a prompt and you have to immediately write something about it. Like yeah. a like a so maybe it makes sense that they did have have one for, for reading. For reading. Yeah. It was more about like your performance, you know? Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. I might I might be mixing two events All together. Right. Fan story number one from <laughs> you Jessica. You don't care anymore. <laughs> Hint taken. When I was pregnant with my first child, I got home from a run and noticed some vaginal bleeding and wasn't sure if it was a concern. It was a Saturday, so I didn't think I'd be able to call the clinic of my obstetrician. I now realize I could have called the hospital and connected with the on-call, but I didn't know that then. That's an interesting setup there. That's an important Something's point, too, yeah. right? Like you assume everyone knows that, That's but true. no, not everyone knows that. We didn't have awesome insurance, so I didn't want to rush to the ER, but I also didn't want to ignore it if there was something to be concerned about. My sister-in-law is a life flight nurse and got her start in labor and delivery, then in the NICU, so I called her and asked what she thought. After I got off the phone with her, my husband asked what she said. I told him she wasn't concerned about the by the amount of blood and that it was probably from switching things up in the bedroom since my body had changed. He looked horrified and said, you told my sister we had sex. <laughs> and I was like, it was relevant to what was going on. And I'm like seven months pregnant. I think she knows. <laughs> my obstetrician thought it was pretty funny and teased him about it at the delivery. <laughs> I, I love getting teased about it at, at, yeah. the, at the delivery with the doctor <laughs> and nurses and everybody present. That was, that's a good one. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. <sighs> um, so we have story number two comes from Jillian. I'm a phlebotomist slash lab assistant at my local county hospital. I had to draw a patient in the ER. I walk in, introduce myself. I came to get some blood from you, rubbing the sand sanitizer in, reaching for the lilac-colored covered gloves. Not covered gloves, that would be weird. And the patient asks, can you take my legs off? My brain screeches to a halt. I'm thinking, I can't have heard that right. What else could it have been? Because I clearly heard that wrong. My brain starts moving again. Oh, did you mean take the blanket off your legs? That makes much more sense, right? I clearly see two legs under the blanket, white tennis shoes peeking out from under the blanket. So I lift the blanket up off the patient's legs to see two prosthetic legs oh. from the knee down. <laughs> My brain kind of crashes. Error 404, page not found. It says. I, say, <laughs> I say, oh, crap. Uh, they really want me to take off my le take off their legs, my inner monologue says. As words start to form, I say, um, I, I, I don't know how. Just push the button on the side, the patient tells me. I push said button and boom, I'm holding a leg. <laughs> <laughs> now there's where, a sentence for you. Where do I put this, I'm thinking. I put it on <laughs> I the... Put this leg. <laughs> I put it on the floor, standing up at the foot of the bed. Quickly detach the other leg and set it next to its twin. The patient sighs with relief, and so do I. Phew! I can get the blood and get the heck out of here. <laughs> I don't think that patient's going anywhere for a bit. <laughs> I, I think I would, I, I'm sure like, you know, patients do like to like play a little practical jokes. Yeah. On you think that's what it was? Cause that was my question is why would you need to take your legs off to get blood drawn? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was just like a, Oh, maybe it seems like it's more comfortable with the legs off. I don't I don't know. I, I have no idea, but um, you never know what you're going to encounter. Boom, I'm holding a leg. During a day as a medical professional. <laughs> Boom, I'm holding a leg. Um, Has since, anyone ever played a prank on you? Your, any of your patients? Oh, gosh. I mean, I probably. Um, I, I can't think of one. If I do think of one, I'll tell everyone. Yeah, you have to I'll report tell back. Everyone. Uh, thank you for those stories, Jillian and Jessica. Send us your stories, knock, knock, hi, at human-content.com. We'd love to hear those. And thank you all for listening. Let us know what you thought of the episode. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear if you have any story ideas or guest suggestions. There's lots of ways to hit us up. Email us, knock, knock, hi, at human-content.com. Visit us on all the social media platforms everywhere. Kick it with us and our human content podcast family on Instagram or on TikTok at humancontentpods. Shout out to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback for us. We love to see that. We're like, how many months into this are we? Oh, like four boy. or five months Who into knows? this podcast. Things are going. Things are, we're really having a good time with this. And uh, all of you are too, it sounds like. Um, we love hearing your comments. 
Uh, if you comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out. Like Mal D on YouTube said, from one emergency medicine miraculous save to another, I wish you a healthy heart and long fulfilling happiness with your lovely, beautiful wife. Your humor helps unite physicians, teachers, students, clinicians, and researchers alike, and we need more mutual understanding, kindness, and support. Laughing together is an amazing way to achieve that. Amen to that. Godspeed, Dr. G. May all of us have a doctor like you or or your lovely guests, and may all specialties get our own Jonathans. I, I thank you. That's such a thoughtful thing to say. I really appreciate that, and um, uh, I, I totally agree. Everybody should have some sort of Jonathan. Mm-hmm. You know, either chat GPT version or the real one. I don't know. Uh, but thank you again for that, Mel. We have full episodes of this podcast on YouTube every week at my YouTube channel, D Glockenflecken. We have a Patreon with lots of cool perks, bonus episodes, where we react to medical shows and movies. Maybe we could do some of the ones we talked hey, about we today should. with Oren, yeah. huh? Yeah. Maybe a, a little elementary, maybe a little Chicago Med. I think we maybe have done the Chicago Med one. I'm not sure. Mm. I wouldn't mind seeing the gasoline guy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, you can come on the Patreon, hang out with other members of this of the Knock Knock High community. We'd love to see you there. Uh, early ad-free episode access, Q&A live stream events, much more. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out, Barbara V and Phoebe J. Hello. Hello. Well, welcome to our community. Shout out to all the Jonathans as always. A virtual head nod to you all. Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Rosk Box, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Dr. J, Chaver W, Jonathan A, Leah D, K, L, and Rachel L. Patreon Roulette, where we give a shout out to a random emergency medicine level patron. Alyssa A, thank you. Thank you for being a patron and being part of our community here. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockenfleckens. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Oren Gottfried, our executive producers, Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brick. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portizer. Our music is by Omer Binsvi. To learn about our knock-knock highs, program disclaimer, and ethics policy, submission verification, and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockenfleckens.com or reach out to us at knock-knock-high at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or little medical jokes, puns, whatever you want to do. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Hey, Kristen, do you know why I got into medicine in the first place? To spend your evenings on documentation, of course. Uh, no. Actually, that never even crossed my mind. Mm, weird. I got into medicine to actually take care of patients, to mm. to be able to form relationships with them that and, is a and better care reason. for them, to listen to them, to actually look at their eyeballs while I'm treating their eyeballs. Well, I would hope that you look at where you're treating. It's an important part of being an ophthalmologist, and it's easier than ever with the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It's just in the room with you, and it helps you be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. Uh, It basically lets you get back to being a physician and practicing the way you want to practice. So it's like having a Jonathan. It really is. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.